Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. when I was at school all I wanted to do was gig that's that was the goal was to gig full time and now that I've I got that goal a few years ago I'm like right the goal now is to get signed okay that's the goal because I don't think I could have got signed at 16 17 and had the skills to deal with it Mm -hmm. and whereas now I feel like I've been through everything life could have thrown at me in the music business yeah and that if I was offered a deal now and know exactly what I want, what terms I wanted and how I wanted to go about it and what my style is. Mm. You know, I think it takes you years to find your own style. Of course. And if someone has got a style from a young age, it's usually been given to them. You know, you're going to be in this pocket. And I never wanted to be in a pocket. I wanted to explore all musical styles. And being a session singer all these years has allowed me to do that. Mm. You know, I've tried funk and I've tried blues and jazz and all different styles. So now that I'm through all that, I feel like yeah, I know what I want my sound Mm -hmm. to be if I were to be signed. Yeah, I mean, I've travelled all over India, but everywhere I go, it's just amazing and fascinating. And And this traditional way of working and creating, is that just something that you gravitated towards? When I was um, uh, thinking about setting up the business, that was really the premise, was because of all my years of working at Habitat, Um, a lot of our textiles were produced in India mm-hmm. um, and I remember early on thinking this is incredible this stuff is all done by hand why is nobody telling our customers this mm-hmm. you know why is uh-huh. you know people are just going into the shop and buying this stuff and have no concept Where of came from? who's made it mm-hmm. how it's been made um, whether it's a machine that's made it or whether it's a human Actual being that's person. made it and I thought this is really sad that we're not mm-hmm. celebrating this more and then also having come from a textile background in Scotland I, I mean I was really aware of you know what happens to a textile industry if it's not supported so I was really interested in exploring traditional craft in India that was like on the verge of not extinction but was becoming less and less mm. and less like with me people have always like disregarding me I'm small I'm little this that and the other mm. and things that people weren't looking at I was looking at and going do you know what that's incredible that's that's like a theme from like the yeah. school days isn't it like oh god you yeah i being in that um... totally I think it was that being told look you're a tiny little woman like I did this Instagram thing at um, the White Cube mm-hmm. Anthony Gormley had um, an exhibition there and he was there in the morning a few of us were invited because that was the beauty of Instagram in those mm-hmm. days if you somehow got invited to these events and so I've been to see like Ai Weiwei Royal Academy completely empty it's been beautiful I've really enjoyed it wow so incredible and I remember Anthony Gormley was there and he actually was standing inside of one of his giant sculptures and I've run across the floor and the floors are all like shiny polished concrete jumped on my knees like um, I don't know back to the future and skidded (laughs) across the floor because I've seen a point where I want to be central to get this photo yeah and there's this, this couple of guys with their big cameras and stuff, like they're professional mm. cameras, and they're like, you're in my way. Then I went, oh, I don't think so, you're in my way. And he was like, what? No, I like to take up space, I, thanks. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm here. Over the past five years, I've worked with loads of different musicians mm. and, and 
some have had a positive impact some have taught me maybe not what I want yeah. to, to do and pursue mm. and I think just through that continual process of learning and growing and evolving then you sort of get to maturity and then feeling like okay I know myself I think it's particularly with jazz um there's a lot to be said for knowing who you are and kind of being comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. because when you're expressing yourself and you're being expressive in your music you there's an authenticity required yeah, and yeah of course you know people can sense when something's real and genuine and that, i think that's why pe- people draw in towards yeah, that uh-huh. they believe you. you they believe you mm. they believe your story they believe your song lyrics mm. as i said painting early doors why be an artist so it's like that you need to sell stuff so you need to get in galleries so i'm trekking about these galleries in glasgow and looking and all that oh, i'll check how much that is and <laughs> check oh look at our painting and all that and now like i had stuff in the galleries beside all these artists you know what i mean probably with some of them even some of them i own their work mm. i bought it i've been fortunate enough to buy yeah. it but there's so much stuff, you know what I mean, to like highlight it. It's like just even that like people while own the stuff and you hear their wee stories and what it means to them and you know what I mean, like people are like buying their stuff to like tell people show people they love them and but I, it's just incredible. You can't get like there's like loads of people mad on the work and there's just so many stories, uh-huh. you know what I mean? It's like but I even like the people are look up to and get inspiration for you and all that, like some links with them now and mm. um, some personal chats and in their work and stuff, you know what I mean? And the idea is what we're not trying to make people into lifeguards, but if you're working, say you take the, the Crown Plaza and Moat House Hotel, yeah. you're working at the desk in there and the law of averages, three in the morning, Somebody will come in and say there's somebody in the water out there and the life belt's been vandalised. Mm-hmm. So the concierge can run out carrying a life belt and a throw rope and either do a rescue or at least try to do a rescue Absolutely. without endangering their own life. We're not trying to make people into lifeguards, no. but if, they're, if they didn't have the life belt and the throw rope with them, these decent people might try to enter the water and do something silly. Mm. And I've taken too many, I've taken the bodies of too many people out of the water who have gone in there trying, trying to, to rescue someone else. I think I just, what I love about the 60s is it kind of anything went, mm. maybe. But also a lot of the, the furniture design was so practical and stylish. Yes. And that's what I love. And what I sometimes find really frustrating about some design, sometimes it's just all about how it looks. Okay. Not about how it functions. You actually have to use it. Yeah. Right. And that's something that's developed with me as I've had kids yeah. I think <laughs> because before I was probably a bit like that about how things look don't touch mm. it you know like that looks nice don't touch don't sit on it don't touch it just look at it but now I'm like no you can't live like that um, so it's yeah so it maybe looks like a show home for photographs but aside from that no um, so yeah how things how things function and I think I get a lot of influence from from that kind of era mm-hmm. with like practical stylish stuff mm-hmm. um, so basically I am big on encouraging people to bring things into their homes that bring them joy mm. and not to follow trends if trends make you happy then go with the trend uh-huh. but it's for me it's about bringing things in that that only that make you happy 
mean, there was a point when we used to share a flat and we had the big computers. Remember the big PCs and yeah, the big right. hard drives? <laughs> and we had two tables and we used to sit back to back and we would write on the script and then after an hour we would go change and we would swap seats. <laughs> I would start working on his, he would start working on mine. So that was our very creative and way. And working of, with your pal as well. Uh-huh. How was that? Um, <laughs> did you hear that dramatic pause, Johnny? Uh-huh, that's it. Do you know, that's the thing, I think there has to be a friendship to be mm. able to create work in such a kind of intense way sometimes because you're all doing more than one role. You're yeah. either performing in it and directing in it and producing it and, you know, mm. whatever else. So there needs to be a real trust and a commitment and a, an understanding of what one another is doing. So. Yeah, and that's, that's what it's about for us, you know. Yeah. It's about being genuine, being, like, accepting and listening and telling the story in the way that they would want it to be told and also just being a nice person and being a nice guy and just sitting down and having a coffee and having a chat even if it's not about the project yeah. or whatever mm. yeah. you know just connecting like you you catching up with Bobby yeah. you know just because yeah like and, it's it's nice to be like our doors always open up and do and like mm. We want like we want clients to come in, but we want people just to come in the door and talk to us yeah. because we like learning new things. We like yeah. meeting new people. We like like I post our address so much. Like come in, yeah, and just have come a coffee. Uh-huh. Like we have good coffee here. Come <laughs> yeah, I sort of removed myself from the psoriasis community in the sense that I wasn't writing as many blog posts. I wasn't kind of putting myself out there as much mm-hmm. because I didn't feel I had anything to show yeah. I, had, I had nothing to show almost because Instagram was such a visual place yeah. and people all of a sudden like the community has grown and grown and it's brilliant that it's out there but I almost found myself taking a step back going right guys you you, you carry on now because yeah. I, th- I think I'm okay but I felt guilty there was a, a real overwhelming feeling of guilt that how dare I share my skin or what I'm doing at the moment because I don't really have anything to yeah, show. Yeah, that kind of boastful thing, like, look how great my skin is. And whenever I have then shown my clear skin, folk have been lovely and said, yeah. that's great, that's so positive, I'm mm. glad you're sharing. You can come out the other side. But I, I did see it as, hi, I've, I've got clear skin. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like, always, <laughs> yeah. almost like preempting people going, how dare you yeah. be part of our uh-huh. community with no spots. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the heaviest one is 152 kilograms, right. which is 335 pounds. Wow. So it's quite, and yeah, as somebody imaginatively said, which is about the equivalent weight of a giant panda. <laughs> so yeah, there's a random. Did you not create that? It's a random fact. <laughs> Maybe a wee bit. It's not very Scottish, is it? Well, true, true story. Yeah, should be a, like a I don't know four haggis or something. <laughs> Although I think if you're able to lift the heaviest one, you should get like you know a cuddly toy panda. Well, <laughs> well, you do get a trophy. Do you? Yeah, and that weighs five kilograms. <laughs> or, or possibly one kilogram, depending on which event it is. <laughs> right, okay. Maybe a bit more with the plinth. Mm. But, um, and how do you actually physically create um, a stone? Like, where mm-hmm. do you go to for that? Well, I, I used a mould. So right. I, I did I did make it. You made it? Yeah, I made all of them. No way! Yeah. Did you? But, I mean, it's not, it's not that hard, really. The hardest part was trying to get a decent sort of weight disparity, a sort of a, a progression, so that okay. it, it was incremental but manageable at the same time oh, yeah. not nothing yeah, yeah, no, yeah. not two huge jumps mm. and uh, so that involved sort of tinkering around with with the mix and what I put in it and things like that 
I didn't know what an announcer did, so mm. I followed the the guys that did, watched what they did, listened to what they did, um, and just picked it up as I went along. And there were, in those days, that was in the 1960s, announcers were still gentlemen. So there were guys, they weren't just any ragtag and bobtails sitting down and seeing whatever come in their mind. But they, you know, these were guys who had thought about speaking clearly, trying to communicate with as big an audience as would mm. understand them. The BBC rule of thumb for that is imagine that you are addressing an elderly couple uh, sitting in their small living room. The point of that is you're talking to two people whose hearing may not be that good, so you're, you're, you must speak yes. clearly, and you must try to pace it nicely. Swedish 80s rock band Europe yes. were playing, and I got a phone call two days previous saying, what are you doing on Saturday? Um, Europe are playing, aren't they? I was already knowing who was You're playing like, me. I, I know what's happening. I know what's happening. What, what's going to say? Right, they've done a meet and greet, but there's no one to meet them. Could you come and introduce them to Europe, please? Uh, yeah, okay. And so, it was professional, and it was. Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's like this is the band, and the band, this is the people, and they all did their thing, and I stood in the periphery. But I got to meet them, and Joy Tempest, the lead's a great name, isn't it? Joy Tempest, such a cool name. Such so rock. <laughs> Joy Tempest from Europe's Come Over and is like, hi, pleased to meet you, I'm Joy, thinking I was part of the meet and greet. And I'm like, oh no, I'm part of the Barland, that doesn't matter. Pleased to meet you, you're, I'm Joy. And I was like, yeah, you're actually really nice. Aww. You know, stood, had a couple of beers, watched a gig and that, was, and that was that. But from being a kid at 15, standing in the Barlands watching a guy get hit with a pint of iron brew, to suddenly getting a phone call from the venue saying, could you come and meet this band and introduce, it's Mental. lovely. Transplant Games was designed, it was it was brought together something like 40 years ago and the idea was to get transplant patients fit and active mm -hmm. post-transplant and it, I think the programme they've got going together is absolutely tremendous because it's it's easy to to have something like that happen to you and feel kind of hard done to and just, you know, disappear into your shell and, and think, you know, oh, I can't be doing that because it might not be good and stuff. Mm. And ultimately, the best thing you can do is be active and fit yeah, healthy. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I done Lanarkshire. I went to Lanarkshire and uh, I placed, I never won anything, but I placed in a uh, shot put and discus. Um, cool. which I, was, I was really chuffed with, I was really happy with, and it was exciting. Nice. And I, I got hooked to it at that point. So they hold a, a British every year and every second year, the GB team will do selections for the GB team in the World Transplant Games. So, Every during 2017, that was the same year as the previous World Transplant Games, which was in Malaga. So I went to Birmingham the year afterwards mm -hmm. with the intention of, of, of trying to win. That mm. was the plan, to try and win. And, and shot and discus at the very least, those are the two events I was I was kind of trained in. And I, and I, and I done it. I won golden shot no on way. golden discus. Amazing. Um, and on the same day, I got selection from the, the team manager, Lynn Holt, had said to me, this is, I hear you've done well on your throwing. Superb. Our first GB training camp is in uh, Coventry in October. It says if you want to come down. And sure enough, I went down and <laughs> I had the, the opportunity one year later in Newcastle, just the other week there, to represent Great Britain in shot putt and discus, which was incredible. Yeah, really just started off in the spare room. I mean, the great thing, what I loved about it was that it was a space, you know, mm. and actually that was just amazing. Like having somewhere where I could paint, it wasn't a big room, you know, it was quite a small room and I was totally just working by myself. And the funny thing is as well, is like I had two cats at that stage and I'd have to paint on the floor or on the kitchen table because there wasn't really enough, you know, space 
I didn't have a big desk and like yes. that. So it's either the floor or the kitchen table. And quite often the cats would come walking across the painting. And if you look back in my painting archive now, you can see the footprints of my cats on some of the, on some of the so paintings. Cool. <laughs> and I always remember saying to one of my best friends, she doesn't live in, she didn't live in Glasgow then, she'd moved away from Glasgow and we were chatting and she was saying, Oh, and how are things going? I said, Oh great, you know, it's just me, Peggy and Betty. And she was saying, Oh, that's brilliant, you've got two employees and I was saying, No, just me and my cats. <laughs> Got to, you've got to keep learning, you know, and I think you just got to keep watching. And, and for me, it's never take it for granted. Mm. Never, ever take it. I've never thought, right, that'll do. That's good enough. It has to be the best that you can do at that. You'll have good days and you'll have bad days. But um, if you can't give can't give your best each time you're doing it, then what are you doing it for? Yeah. So why do you do? Uh, best job in the world. Um, I was nine years old, not when I started, by the way, that would be a blatant <laughs> lie. In the days when you had to write in, there was no emails, remember? There was, in fact, there's probably not even computers. You were lucky there was radios. Mm. Um, and Radio 4, the local radio station, used to do a birthday spot. And my, uh, my birthday request was read out by Mike Scott, who was a breakfast presenter at the time. Cool. And I thought, hey, that sounds... That sounds like it could be fun. And actually, that's been the theme for much of my my life. I've, I've seen somebody or I've watched something happening mm-hmm. and thinking, hmm, that'd be quite good. Never, ever thinking that it could possibly happen. And, and nine times out of ten, it has, you know. So I've been really, really lucky. I chose linen because it's, kind of, it's classed as a sustainable fabric because basically it doesn't need a lot of water to grow it. So if you think of, like, a good comparison, so if you've got a say like a top made of linen and a top made of cotton mm-hmm. which is still a good crop to mm. use but um, throughout its life cycle linen maybe only needs like kind of six litres of water whereas okay. the same comparison cotton would need about 26 so there's like yes. things like that so yeah. if you think in order to be like kind of sustainable you need to kind of think about it like from the beginning uh-huh. so the flax is the crop that grows linen which doesn't need a lot of water mm-hmm. it's grown in eastern Europe where it actually rains quite a lot anyway so they don't need to give uh, a lot of that's clever yeah and it doesn't need a lot of like pesticides and stuff like right, that okay. or none at all it was a couple of years ago I was sitting my, my little girl um, Alyssa my, my eldest mm-hmm. um, she was six years old at the time and she was feeling she's quite an emotional little girl um and you know and i can see this because i was exactly exactly the same as her and i'd always had the line it's okay sometimes to have a blue day yeah in my head Uh as the end line of whatever i was ever going to do and i wrote this poem which is is the poem of lucy's blue day and uh, i wrote it about this little girl who has the magical colour changing hair, it changes colour when she feels all her different emotions, like red for angry, green for mm. jealous, uh, purple for excited, and then one day her hair's blue, and she doesn't understand why. And I phoned my friend who was one of the composers, and I was like, do you think it would be a good idea to like take pieces from composers, put them in the album, and then write my music in and around them? And he was like, that sounds class. And then eventually, that's what I did. Mm. And I literally had the thought, and then I wrote all the stuff I've got, all, all my demos and stuff were all just recorded on my phone. Right. Just like, like this right now. Just like I've got an idea and they sound really, really crap. And then I would just book the studio and then okay. it just started to snowball. That's and then awesome. I, I can't, I don't even know how it happened. It uh-huh. just happened. I commissioned these composers. I had the pieces. 
I learned them quite fast and commissioned them quite fast. And then all the stuff I wrote for the album was literally done in like each track, like the first track in the album was recorded in London with my mate Ross. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm coming up to record something. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I want it to sound. And I had this vision. And then he literally was like, like, he hit record and I was like, and then I started, just started playing. Yeah. And that was it. If you're thinking about people that you want to write for The Forge, what criteria do they meet? This is the whole thing about it as well, is that there's no tick sheet. You need to be into kind of growth as a person. Mm-hmm. Basically, the whole ethos behind it is it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, you should always be able to do good for yourself and others. When people start to talk about their experiences, the reader, and equally the other people that want to write, they actually realise that not everybody's lives are too dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Everybody's had hassle, everybody's had heartache the ups and downs, the smiles, the cries. It's been for different reasons, but when you kind of strip it back, everybody's the same. same. We're all the same. Yeah, yeah. And then from that, a lot of people, they want to believe that they can maybe, I don't know, do something different Mm -hmm. or escape being stuck in a rut. But this is the the whole point of having other people, right, is to show them that other people are doing it. For me to have worked hard from, you know, university and, and everything else, that I can actually take my mum out for a nice lunch every Friday and, and she can sit down and dine in a nice restaurant, have a glass of wine and spend quality time with me and her granddaughter. So I, I started doing this thing called Fancy Lunch Friday. I love it. So I, I, I like that. So that's became a wee hashtag. And I think I always put up now is, is, is uh, I put up this thing, life is beautiful. I don't forget it. And I always try and capture it. I really magical moment with me and my daughter or a beautiful situation or scenery or environment and I always say life is beautiful don't forget it and people have actually messaged me uh, and said listen I really I'm really drawn to your positivity and even though it's not easy for me to see it the same way as you I feel inspired by your motivation I share things that I feel comfortable sharing and but one thing I've noticed recently I've been trying I feel like blogs are evolving a lot or maybe blogs aren't but they need to mm-hmm. People consume information and media like so, so quickly now that I've been trying to assess well, what makes a blog successful, what makes me actually click on a blog link as opposed mm. to just looking at somebody on Instagram yeah. or their Instagram story. And I feel like it has to be something that's really informative. So it's a DIY or here's something that I did or a place that I went that has information mm. or it has to be something really personal. So yeah. I am aware that if I share more personal things, they do well. And I mean, two of my posts that have been probably my top performing posts over the years have been the story of like the birth of my son which was quite personal and then the story of like why I quit the day job which was also really personal so I'm aware that if I share more things like that they would probably perform better but there is a limit to what I'm willing to share otherwise we venture back into that teenage diary territory and that's not somewhere I want to go it's called doing a stars Stars. Doing a stars. It's working for stars free. Stars, you go and pick a respectable, reputable place yes. and work for free. You seek them and the, your payment is recipes, experience, experience. networking or whatever. Yeah. Well, I didn't realise at the time, I just did that because I, I wanted to do that. Uh-huh. So he went to a place in France and the chef there got him to... So he was like, this is what you so do. the chef tried to beast him. Uh-huh. Although he, that was only a week's worth, it was months he did it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then one time I went down and I says, right, okay, right. Didn't even ask, would you want done a day chef? Just took the vegetables and he says, what are you doing? And I says, I'm going to do the julienne vegetables and the pearl. And he's like, no, no, no. And he says, why are you doing it like that? I was thinking, well, 
how else do you want me to do? Chef, mm-hmm. like, get the vegetables and I'll cut it with a knife, surely, and there you go. And he went and he put a Chinese mandolin, like we spinny thing for the top shelf. He goes, why don't you just use that? Which would have done it in a matter of seconds. No. And he laughed and I went, okay. And he thought, hey, that's, that'll break him. That'll break him, I'm about to see what this boy's made of. I says, do you think that's funny? Is that, is that the best you can come up with? And he's, and he's like, well, I thought I was pretty good. I says, well, see every time you go to the toilet, Although I didn't notice your Chinese mandolin machine, I've been taking your recipe box and I'm already at X. So I don't need to be here for that much longer. Really, I? And he thought, right, okay. You proved yourself. Come here and I'll show you how to make sauces and stocks and this and that and the next thing. Creativity is not about you know art in the traditional sense. Creativity is so important. You know, I talk, in, a, in a business world, I talk all the time about, you know, if people were not creative, then none of the products we have we take for like even like a bottle of water in front mm. of us now again good for the podcast bottle of water look at that but you know like people being creative in terms of bottle of water now again bottled water is now getting a bad press because of the single use but yes. then people have to be creative in that sense well how do we you know so creativity yeah. is we can take innocuous objects like a bottle of water so creativity I was trying to say to the kids you know that you know we have to be creative Which as individuals is essentially play yes Indeed, indeed. You know? So, uh, creativity is a big thing for me, and you know, being creative in a business sense is you've got you've got to be creative. You've got to try to be ahead of the curve, whatever the curve is, just now because things are just moving so fast. Uh-huh. And you know, hopefully for us, podcasting will be around for a while and in lots of different ways. And uh, we're certainly very excited by that. And you've got mm. to be excited. You know, if nothing excites you, then your life's pretty boring. Boom, boom, <laughs> done. <laughs> and I remember the whole process, and they, they kept saying to me, "Would you audition for the part?" Is um, Barnaby and I was like no I'm not ready so basically they were like please audition for the part because I was thinking it was the only young one I was I was per- the perfect age anyway uh-huh. I got the part of course and um, I, I, I loved it and uh-huh. I, I loved the experience the first night this is so dramatic right? the first night I come out on stage uh-huh. and I don't know if this is an ego thing right but right. It, was, it was a bit of a rush of I think the whole mixture of the whole rehearsal period the anticipation of it and then that first night, back then, I was so naive when it came to things. I was so bra- I was braver than I am now. And I was really? just like, on oh, great on the stage. And I, I've just felt, it was like this ignorant bliss kind of mm. thing. And I got out on the stage and I remember going, no, this is me. This is me. And I literally went into work the next day and handed my notice in. When you, when you meet people, it doesn't take very long. It doesn't matter who they are, what you know, cat badge or rank they are. It doesn't take long for you to find somewhere that you've both been to together either on operations or on training exercises and you talk about the same thing and straight away you, somebody you've never met before within a few minutes you've got something that you've done together yeah. at separate times but you have been through yeah, and common that is common ground and that's what that's what helps build the notion of, of brotherhood and I said, I said it before the notion of brotherhood in the army and the armed forces is just there's nothing else like it mm-hmm. and the connection that we all have even though we we're not pals we're, we're all still connected and you keep seeing that, you see that so much uh, when you're taking pictures. Uh, every, and everything I've ever done, you, you see this connection between people, between organisations, between services, and there's nothing like it. No. There's absolutely nothing like it. It's just, and it is why people struggle to when they leave the army, because they miss that. That's mm-hmm. what they miss. The first night I, I decided I was going to play guitar. I was in I was in the house and my dad had this guitar in the loft and for years I would I would dig it out, strum it without, you know, playing anything, any chords or anything. <laughs> Just marvel this sound and then uh, put it back in a case and hide it and pretend it had never happened. Okay. Um so I remember one one night I brought it down from the loft 
and uh, I was doing this, and my dad was going out. I don't know if he was going to a gig, and he says, "Right, I'll show you four four chords, or I'll show you a couple of chords." Okay. So he did. He showed me four chords. It was uh, like E, D, C, and A. Four or five hours later, he came uh-huh. back, uh, and I'm sitting strumming, changing <gasps> between these chords. Wow! And I think for him that was like, oh, maybe we should, mm. maybe we should look at this. So from that point, he then he looked up uh, one of his friends. It was a guitarist and a guitar teacher. And that started a kind of weekly lesson thing, and several years of study with him, and, and that I, I went full geek and, <laughs> and studied as much as I could uh, about guitar. And that's that's a gift. It's an incredible. It's and I'm, I'm not sure we enough people see it as this in whatever way you hold space for people in any way that's a privilege because people are yes. choosing to spend their time mm-hmm. and money and energy mm-hmm. away from maybe they've got a little bit somebody's watching the kids or they've had a really bad day at work mm-hmm. they're helping a loved one through an illness all the terrible things that people can have going on life the pain that they have they're choosing to spend come to your you. space and spend it with you mm-hmm. and the community that you've helped to build that you're a part of yeah. and to be a part of that in any way in that exchange I don't. I don't think we honour that enough. I think mm-hmm. it needs to be. Think, flipping egg. That's yeah, actually it's huge. It's powerful. Yeah. It's huge. There was a weird understanding from certain people in the built environment community community mm-hmm. that it was all about the building and not about people. And part of our argument was that the you wouldn't have the building without the people. So you 100%. have to know yeah. the history of both to appreciate how the built environment changes. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't get that. Yeah, it's called economic and social history. Look it up. But they didn't get it. So it's again, it was trying to make sure that we, because we worked in, I would say about three sectors. So it was the built environment, which again was quite masculine. Pale, male and stale. Yes. Yes. Um, And then academia, which kind of has the same problem, but Mm -hmm. you've obviously got a lot more female historians now who are great, they're fantastic. And then there was us doing like the outreach and heritage stuff off our own bat and not really getting paid Mm -hmm. for it. You guys are like Quite. national treasures. Oh, that's oh, stop it. But the way you talk about it, you're just so enthused and so passionate about it. It makes me want to know more. Like, I'm almost embarrassed of how little I know about the women. No, never. But see, that, no, that's never that's, embarrassed. No, that, that's, that's not your fault. That's the fault of the people that have got have done the research or these organisations who think they're hitting target audiences and they're not actually engaging with the people they should be engaging with. Yeah. And that was part of the issue that Ultimately, we've had. it's the patriarchy's fault that oh, we... Oh, here we go. That we, buckle up. <laughs> buckle up, strap in, lads. It's the patriarchy's fault that we weren't taught about these women and that these women were forgotten. What makes Love and Squalor bro? And what makes Love and Squalor brave? Um, I think it's brave because I don't really know any other shops like this. I know, obviously, loads of people who are design and make and have their mm-hmm. own range and lots of people with their own shop but I don't necessarily know people that do it all under one roof um, and then with the sort of teaching element as well and there aren't actually that many independent clothes shops no, in Glasgow, no, there are very not. very You're few right. um, so I think that is quite brave uh, definitely and yeah, bro, I don't know <laughs> um, I think aesthetics are obviously tied yes. up with everything that we do mm. Yeah, it's kind of tied into everything, and uh, obviously it is a kind of design shop. But no, I quite like the the like the studio. It is it's a working studio, yeah. and it is people like our fit rooms in the studios. People are in and out and things like that. And I do quite like that it's real. It's you know yes. there is sometimes mess. There's a cup of tea <laughs> sitting and chocolate biscuits and all the rest of it. But it's it's real. It's a bird. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, this is like an education because I'm yeah. like right. So cool. it's a bird that you can find in Uist. Right. Um, yeah. 
originally I called it the gannet calls which is like another bird but like my, I remember singing it to my dad for the first time and he was killing himself laughing he was like Katie it's such a lovely song he was like but that bird has like such an awful like sound <laughs> he was like it really doesn't fit so so it was like what about the corn cake and I was like well that actually works better so um yeah <laughs> and magic if you just look at the trick in isolation that's all it is, it's just yeah. a trick. Mm-hmm. But then when you start to add storytelling, you start to think about body language, you start to think about, you know, the, the timing of things and misdirection, you start to think about the, the, the props that you use to tell yeah. the story, you start to think about when the sleight of hand happens, you think about the psychology you attach to it, all of a sudden it grows into this massive kind of variety. It's a yeah, it's a kind of variety of elements yeah. that, that impact on this one thing you're trying to say or one thing you're trying to do. And, People don't really understand that, I don't, no. I don't think. And sometimes it can just be one bit of language that you change or one little you know, one little subtlety that you yes. add to something or one little anchor that you put in to make people misremember the order something happened uh-huh. in. These are all really, really important in, in, in selling the illusion that you're trying to present. And a woman uh, came over and she said, my dad has been in here for years in the hospice across the wow. water and uh, he, he's been sat by the window watching you every day and he's just been... Loving it, because it because it was uh, built upon three layers of stencils. Okay. So he saw the black emulsion, and then one day would be the first layer, the yeah. next day would be the second, and then the third layer, the last day. So he could see the prog the progression. Yeah, of course. Each day. That's lovely. And your uh, art must just be touching people's lives that you, you you're never ever going to even find out about. So it's lovely. When I guess you get so. That opportunity for somebody. To say that, you know, and that, you know, that's going to obviously well, that was inspire really nice. the next yeah. lot of work, you know. When you well, that was, that was, that was really there. nice, in fact, yeah. that she took the time to, like, leave her dad to come yeah, over yeah. and chat to me. It was really nice, so... But because it's out there and, the, you know, for everybody to appreciate, there just must be so uh-huh. many situations. Or criticise. Well, the, you know, the, the thing is, like, if it doesn't make you feel something, mm-hmm. then... Yeah, 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 whether you, know, you like it or hate it, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I actually kind of learned to perform more on stage I learned to oh, perform yeah. as I was kind of doing it because yeah, you're just kind of thrown out there mm. um, like students especially nowadays kids want to do all the, the big amazing jobs but what I always say is see sometimes the wee crappy jobs they're the best ones for learning like yes. that is where I think I learned to perform a lot more because mm. like that's even you've got a teeny tiny audience that's really intimate they're all right in front of you you can see their faces like uh, you can actually see their expression yeah. sometimes those are the ones that you actually need to fight a bit more mm. for their culture was something people went after because it was very colourful, um, it was nice and same applies because I, what fascinated the culture here is, it's about the sharing, Yes. sharing. The Mela is a great platform uh-huh. where we bring, you know, we, we have 89 communities living here. We can, wow. well, Mela will have to go in a series of events over the full year yeah. to expose everything, of but course. we can do few at a time. But it gave people a, a platform to see what we had to offer, you know. So it was a, never a kind of South Asia, but we tried to make it multicultural and exposure that to the um, Asian community. Because they had to see who were the um, Brazilian dancers, who were these people, who was the Gaelic. I mean, I've got a fairly bonkers imagination. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I mean, I've had some very weird and wonderful requests. And okay. And I do enjoy finding something that's 
different for everybody mm. like and I'm I don't know we call it the kind of spooky bitch moments when I just come out out with something and the person's like no way that's actually something I was thinking about but I didn't think you could do it oh, or that's cool you know and like I mean even just yesterday the, the client I was tattooing yesterday um it sent over a few images but this wasn't one of them although it was sort of referenced in one of the tattoo you know like pictures mm. of somebody else's tattoos that he sent over okay and I was actually just finished stenciling it out and he came over and he was like oh I was just about to ask you if we could do that today and I was like yeah well it's stenciled to the exact size that I'm gonna put it in so it's nice yeah so I mean but that's I, I can get a bit spooky with it sometimes so I was going <laughs> Slightly out of tune. So I would be I would be playing that and saying, Oh that's very pleasant. But it's very pleasant. And then I didn't have a song to go with it. Mm-hmm. Or a, or a, or kind of an idea, but I thought that's fine. And then not rushing it. And then a mate from New Zealand, as one does in Facebook, mm. sent a link and it was a video and it was a video about a river in New Zealand that had been given legal status as a kind of an entity in its own right. And there was a Maori statement that I can't say. Mm-hmm. Ken says it, he's, he's, he's the guy in New Zealand. But the, the translation of that is, I am the river and the river is me. And I thought, and that, you know, that, that spoke to me. And so I took that mm. notion and said, could I fit it over those? I remember after the the read through, you know, where you all sit down and read the play together for the first time. Mm. So it's always horrific. You always read it for the first time and think, okay, this is the moment when everybody's sitting at this table going, why the hell is she here? (laughs) Whose idea was it to get this number? That sounds a horrible. Yeah, you just always you always feel like that, and and but of course you don't realize you think you're the only one that's thinking that. Everybody's thinking that. Uh huh. And it was and it was Johnny (laughs) that said to me he was like that. Oh, I hate read throughs because you're always just sat there going, "This is when they find out that I'm rubbish." And I was like, "Yes, you think that." (laughs) Yeah, totally. Johnny two jobs. Yeah, Johnny two jobs thinks that. Um. So yeah, it's so nice. Because you and, and now I always think of that. I'm like, yeah, read through. Think, like I guess everybody's world thinking of that. Is just you're just so vulnerable all the time, mm. and maybe people are not always saying that. Oh like, no, people I've, have got the you know the they put on the uh-huh. they put on the act. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to do that because totally. otherwise everybody would just be in a wreck, <laughs> cuddling each other, <laughs> rocking, going, "I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish, am I?" <laughs> and he came over, said something in Russian. You know, I said, uh, no, Scotia, just English. So mm. he was like, no, he didn't speak English. So he was pointing at my number plate right. and uh, giving it, you know, what's this kind of thing. Oh. So I had a map on the back of my helmet with my whole route on it. Yes. So I showed him, you know, I'm from the UK mm-hmm. and I'm riding this all the way around here. He liked the idea of that. So then he sort of did the universal sign for sleep with your two <laughs> hands together. So I pointed to my tent on the front of my bike and pointed mm. to a field. And he just looked in horror and basically shook his head. Yep, no, 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 no. And he's like, you follow me, come, come, come. So by that point of the trip, I was sort of not used to stuff like this, but you just go with it. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, okay. So I I just followed the guy. When he got in his car and pulled away, I I followed him. And um, eventually we ended up at like a wooden hut Uh out in the woods in the outskirts of a little village. 
went in and there's his missus standing there cooking some food and she turned around and looked at me and looked at him and they had a little discussion <laughs> in Russian. Picked up. <laughs> yeah, and the, the next thing I'm getting a bowl of borscht given to me, which is like stew and some vodka and Lovely. Yeah, she spent the night there, I ended up staying there. I often wondered, did he actually mean for me to turn up? <laughs> or when we walk in, did he turn around to his wife and like, go Oh no, he actually has I don't followed know, me. Yeah, I don't know who this madman is, he's just followed me. <laughs> I know some people can get what's known as survivor's guilt. Like, my friend died when she was 15, so some people can be like, feel bad that okay. they've got this opportunity. Well, yeah. Fortunately, I don't... Why, why me? And why why, why not did they pair? die? Uh-huh. Blah, 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 blah. For me, I'm not like that. I'm like, right, this is... I need to do everything for me and for them. Yeah. Um. So that's like, when I do certain experiences, like, I went to Australia with my mum last year for a month, I've got friends and family over there. I've awesome. never been before. The last day that I was there, I watched the sunset uh, go down on the beach and wrote on the sand, to my donor, where I go, you go. Meaning, where I, remember this woman, I know that she was 30 and she was female, that's all I know, but maybe she'd been to Australia before and wanted to go back, maybe she'd always wanted to go. So it's times like that that I'm, well, I think about my donor every day. Of course. But there's times when it's more significant of course that I have that little moment just to kind of go over everything yeah. so I was always behind the camera okay. um, sometimes Alan would be in front of the camera but he's uh, managed to rid himself of that um, <laughs> and uh, yeah we just filmed all kinds of stuff and I remember when we were when we were at Blockbuster we used to film lots of little short films and stuff just with our pals and because so everybody was into film yeah. and um, so that's that's what we used to do and sometimes we used to well, sometimes we used to make little films and uh-huh. put them on the shelves at Blockbuster so you know people could watch them and things, or we used to play them on the, the, in, the in-store oh, screens. That's so good. Um, and sometimes we used to take the films that were in Blockbuster uh-huh. and you just put a little bit of tape over the, the little copy protect yes. thing and then we used to record our own scenes into the films and put them back on the no, shelf. Totally did, it was great fun. And you would, you'd tend not to go for films that were you know terribly well known, but... <laughs> but, uh, but that was kind of cool. And then you just try to be subtle about it, but um, it was good fun. Cool. Um, but yeah, we'd always been into that, and um, you know, I, I go through my photos now, and there's tons of pictures of us with different cameras and things, and you know, photographic cameras and stuff. But honestly, I never thought we would end up working. Is that in, right? Never even crossed my mind that you it could actually work in television. Absolutely. With this, um, with the business, I never expected. I expected to be the host, the person who was facilitating the community I didn't expect to receive or to get back from that Mm -hmm. community in the way that I do and I think that that's well I hope that that's a positive for the people that I work with that um that being able to be vulnerable and be myself and allowing them to see that I'm not some superhuman who works out six times a week and never feels knackered never cries over something really irrational (laughs) and never like you know never says or does things that are wrong you know I think because I grew up being such a perfectionist and being in an industry where perfectionism is strived for or yeah. you know that's kind of where, you, where you're told you need to be or you're not going to get what you want to get I think that now I'm kind of almost a rebel against that <laughs> I kind of want to show that I'm not um, I'm not perfect and I don't have to be and neither no. does anyone else so I think that for me has been an incredible thing that I never expected had the album we mm-hmm. weren't getting much chances to, to gig so I was just any sort of battle of the bands thing that came up I would just apply for us for it because you didn't really know you just had to like get out there yeah 
And a lot of them were awful. Uh, like I they suggested were, it for a laugh. You, you suggested it for a laugh because we were playing in a, like downstairs like among all these like scream bands that were like 15. Like, Slam poetry and stuff. Like Slam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were on after and a, then, like, a, a metal band. Okay, but like screaming... Like right. so yeah. not not in the same realm, really. And we're just like, <laughs> oh, let's go. And that was yeah, that that the pipes playing jigs and trills. Uh, <laughs> it was basically that for almost al- almost a year, not quite, but like there was just like a lot of gigs where we were yeah, just we just didn't well. we just yeah. didn't fit in at mm. all, and it was frustrating. But at the same time, it was quite looking back on it, you had to do it, yeah. and it's also really funny. It. Yeah, yeah. Because like, we've been trying to come up with an album name for ages. We had a lot like, of. Um, I think I said band at the wrong gig, and then we just became at the wrong gig, and and they took it seriously, and I was just kidding, uh-huh. and then they ran with that, and I was like, guys, I'm only kidding. I'm like, no, <laughs> we're not calling the album. Okay, we're calling the album. If you had advice to give to that quiet wee ginger boy at the back of the room what would you say that's a good question is it oh it's a great question <laughs> if, if it's a young person I'm working with just now um, I think they compare themselves to other people in the class so you'll have people in the class who are very extroverted or do dance or do drama mm. and they're always the loud ones in the room and it's saying to them you don't have to be that person what can you be and mm-hmm. um, what can you do for you getting up and standing here and doing a dance in front of the crowd is maybe impossible mm-hmm. or maybe not possible yet but I don't want you to do that I want you to do your thing so what can you do and yeah. even if that's just standing up and saying a line if that's being involved in moving the set if that's operating the lights then at least that will be you contributing and you never know you might just like it yeah. and once you get that like that bug mm-hmm. then maybe you'll think what can I do next that's perfect advice even when I was in uh, you know down south and I wasn't feeling uh-huh. good yeah. there was something within me that knew that this wasn't right so it was mm-hmm. telling me that yep. there was disruption so it's like well when you're feeling that way like listen to it because it's telling you something Don't you need it. to know so if there's something within your body it's maybe like you know pain or it's mm. out, just sort of out of sync listen to what your body's trying to tell you you know and through meditation or through whatever it is the sort of tool that you can use you can tap into that wisdom tap yeah. into that thing that's within us and just and it will always lead you to the way that you need to be or the way that you're the place that you need to go to or the life that you want to live it's yeah. always there and sharing that message with people is like the best I was just going to say that sounds like the best job ever hi it's amazing it's pretty decent mm. And I think it's also important to know when to let go because sometimes you might have an idea or concept that you think, I really like this and I want to go with it and it's just not the right time. I've I've found music that I've still got that I found maybe eight years ago Uh that I still go back to every year, every Mm. couple of years and think I'm going to use that for my next piece. And maybe the concept that I've kind of that I'm thinking of just doesn't fit with the music ah, yeah, and it just time. it just gets shelved again and mm. there's so much still on the back burner that I think I'm going to use that in the future but I think it's just about knowing actually that it's not the right time uh-huh. so I need to let this idea go and just you know rip yeah, up like and start again yeah like not giving yourself a hard time of like why can I not come yeah. up with something it's just like this is not the time exactly. for exactly yeah so just yeah. letting go of ideas is just as important as having ideas mm. I, think. I didn't have any expectations of what it would be like so obviously you and I dance um, 
we didn't really do dance competitions we didn't do that sort of mm-hmm. thing so I didn't really have a sort of competitive background if you like or like, I didn't do swimming competitions or I didn't have a background in that sort of thing so I had no idea what it was going to be like and if people ask me about this they'll quite often say oh is it dead like catty hmm. that sort of thing or are people dead catty with you backstage and is everyone looking you up and down and genuinely genuinely could not be farther from the truth I have met so many people who are my friends now through competing that you literally meet on the day and then you just keep in touch with them you end up meeting up with, with them for coffee we have training dates um, people that you then meet them at you know posing workshops and stuff and you just start to like generate genuine friendships mm. and everyone's super supportive of each other if someone's on social media saying they're having a hard day you know you just contact them like is there anything I can do are you okay and everybody's sort of just sharing tips and tricks and different things and it's been genuinely super super supportive and I've yet to come across someone who I thought looked at me funny or seemed false or Hmm. I've genuinely yet to come across someone where I thought they weren't very nice. People forget that when we deliver information one of the most incredibly powerful things we can do is pause and very few folk really focus on an understanding of the beautiful power of a pause because what pause because what we do what so many people uh, do is they just get consumed by speaking all the time really quietly and not having any form of pause pause is amazing you're you're spot on because it makes you stop and pay attention absolutely and then you you can look at things like when you're presenting and speaking about how you move how do you move your body do you stand in the one position where do you put your hands how do you how do you look how do you connect everything and it's, it's a beautiful wonderful exceptional art but it, mm. it exists within acting it exists within dance it exists within um, you know politics it exists within sport it, you know time and movement it's just a, a thorough understand of, understanding of how we move speak and the energy we give off as human beings absolutely the bee was about to come on, so here comes the bzzz sound in the, the bumblebee music. Mm-hmm. And uh, we look that way, and there's the bumblebee. Oh, and we're going, oh, we can hear it. And the kids were kind of going, bee, thinking I can hear it, but can I see it? And we're going, oh, we can hear it. She's here somewhere, where is she? And we were like, what on earth? And we're thinking, oh, they're in the, they've forgotten that the, the bumblebee's back they're in, in it or something the like that. Room eating so Ryan goes, I can hear that bee, I'll go and see. Turns out the antenna had got caught in the in the kind of blacks, yeah. the, obviously. And so the bumblebee was just like trapped between the stage and the audience just caught and actually if you hadn't have gone off and kind of freed her mm. would have had to just because the next thing that happened was the bumblebee's kind of recorded voice, voice came, came on. on so you had to so we'd have been standing there talking to nobody uh-huh. <laughs> where is the bee if you can hear I well it is no secret that the industry is completely filled with obstacles but I think the main one that everyone can relate to is rejection uh-huh. of a job yeah like um it doesn't it, it can get easier, but more than easier, it becomes manageable. Yes. Like, it totally becomes manageable. Can and imagine. I think upon graduating, it can feel a lot more personal and you can get caught up in the excitement and the adrenaline and the what will happen if I get it uh-huh. um, mentality of being a fresh graduate and auditioning yeah, for the first couple of times. Imagine. So when to not get those jobs, I think it would hit a bit harder because yeah. you start asking more questions. Uh-huh. But um, the way I've kind of managed that was just confiding in a lot of people and 
a lot of my friends who were saying the year above me mm-hmm. or at different drama schools mm-hmm. who graduated the year before me, they were in the same situation. Yeah. Speaking to them, knowing myself that it's not a personal thing. No, no. And um, and it's just that reassurance from other people going. Yeah, of you. course. Uh huh. And um, just knowing that it might be right for you, but at that time it's not. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if it's a show you're auditioning for and you're not right for it, then you might get. I know people who've auditioned for the same show two or three times. Wow. Uh-huh. And year after year didn't get it and then got it the just next year it. because the time was right for them. So it's kind of just trusting that something else will come around the corner. And I just remember one it's of our... Study you'll know goodbye. Exactly. <laughs> and one of our teachers saying to us that the shows that you think you're not right for, you're right for. Wow. You, you don't know what's going to be out there mm-hmm. and you could get an audition through from your agent and be like, what? what? Like, I, what am I right for this? And then auditioning for it and then if you get it... Mm-hmm. And then find out you're right for it. Uh-huh. So that's really exciting. It's yeah, like not uh-huh. knowing that there's things out there for you that will come your way. it a bit to the universe and not yeah. having it all mapped out in your head of how it should yeah. go or how you would like it to mm-hmm. go. The uncertainty and the spontaneity of it can stress people out, mm-hmm. but I think it's quite fun. I like <laughs> it. I quite, I, quite, I quite like it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.